things this morning, chapter 8. Last Sunday, we took a break from our series for the Fall Revival with Evangelist David Summerdorf, and what a great uh, few days we had with the Summerdorfs, and thank you to everybody who was able to participate. To refresh your memory, though, we're in a series called Enlarge, and we found a, a man of the Bible, Jabez, who prayed to God and said, Bless me indeed, enlarge my coast. Let your hand be on me, keep me from evil. And in this series, we're talking about things that God wants to grow in our lives. We can know for certain that these are things God wants us to grow. Some of them are, are clearly found in scriptures, and others just make good spiritual sense. And so this morning, we're headed to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 8, and it's a unique passage that tells us the history of the day when Solomon's temple was dedicated. Initially, this morning, we're going to read just three verses, and if you're physically able, would you stand for the reading as we begin in verse number 41, 1 Kings 8, verse number 41. Moreover, concerning a stranger that is not of thy people Israel, but cometh out of a far country for thy name's sake, for they shall hear of thy great name, and of thy strong hand, and of thy stretched out arm when he shall come and pray toward this house. Hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calleth to thee for, that all the people of the earth may know thy name, to fear thee, as do thy people Israel, and that they may know that this house which I have builded is called by thy name. And so this is a great passage that we're looking at this morning. As we deal with this topic, enlarge my crowd. And let's pray. Father, would you work now on this special Sunday as we preach your word. I pray that our hearts would be open and attentive and that we might be able to take some things from this message and apply them and use them in our lives. Even this very week, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Would you listen as the Beatties sing this morning? I've wandered far away from God, now I'm coming home. The paths of sin too long I've trod, Lord, I'm coming Coming home, coming home, never more to roam. Open now thine arms of love, Lord, I'm coming home. I've waited. Amen. 
special this morning. Well, historians tell us that Solomon's temple was completed in 1004 BC and that it was a magnificent structure and it was built for the worship of the God of Israel. And we know that the God of Israel is the creator and he's also the God of heaven. But the rest of the world didn't know it at that time. And, and so we're seeing it kind of looking back at it. But this temple was going to be the place that God would communicate with his people, the place where God would accept sacrifices from his people. 
And I'm sure you noticed from the text we read that the Jews weren't the only people on earth. And 3,000 years ago, there were many other tribes and nations that didn't know the one true God, that didn't have the path of salvation through the coming Messiah and had no knowledge of that. And that many of them were living without hope. As Solomon dedicated this temple to the Most High God, he prayed that the strangers would have a path to God. And we can see from our point of view that redemption was coming to everyone, Jews and Gentiles alike through Jesus Christ. But in 1004 BC, Solomon was asking Jehovah to enlarge the crowd of people that pursued the God of the universe. Fast forward that to our day, to 2015, to us. As children of God, we should be asking our Father to expand the group of people that we know. Rarely can we see kingdom influence grow with people that we've never met. And so to have people become committed followers of Jesus, to see them involved in this congregation, we first have to make them part of our crowd. We have to make a connection with them and form some type of relationship to point them to Christ. If we can get a big picture view on this, like the one Solomon had, we'll understand that the purpose of our existence is not us, it's him. And so I want to walk through this chapter this morning and see some important truths about enlarging our crowd. Let's go back to verse number 41 and uh, some interesting things in this chapter that we'll note as we go through it. Look at these first two words in verse number 41. Moreover, concerning. And so we start with the concern. Some very studious people have come up with monetary values regarding the temple in today's language. And they've calculated from the biblical narrative how many talents of silver were needed. And first of all, they have told us that a talent weighed about 75 pounds. And so that, that's a pretty weighty, if you will. There were 1 million and 17,000 talents of silver that were needed to build the temple. All right, so you begin to do the math on this, and it comes down to about $22 billion worth of silver in the temple. Can you imagine this? $22 billion worth of silver in the temple. And a goodness gracious, that's a lot. Then we have the figures on gold. And here's the, the figure they came up with, 108,002 and a half talents of gold. That's 4,000 tons of gold. Price tag, close to $194 billion worth of gold. And so you can tell that this particular temple, talk about wealthy. Talk about people sacrificing to coat this in pure gold as instructed by God. It's just unfathomable, really. Uh, how much was spent on this particular temple. Look over to 1 Kings chapter 10, and I, I just want to show you a couple of facts here about this. 1 Kings 10, and if you've ever heard of the Queen of Sheba, she came to visit Solomon, and she brought him some gifts. And I was looking at some of the gifts that the Queen of Sheba had brought to Solomon. One of the gifts that she brought him was... 120 talents of gold. So the Queen of Sheba, we think that she came from the region of Ethiopia, 
And she brought gifts to Solomon. One of the gifts that she brought was 120 talents of gold. Now, when I was a kid, they, they taught us uh, a lot of things not to do, and then they taught us some things we should do. And we had a math teacher once who told us that we should go home today and tell mom and dad, mom and dad, I don't want an allowance anymore uh, of $4 a week or whatever it was. Back in my day, it was like $0.03 cents a week. You know, <laughs> I don't know what it was. Um, but what's an allowance now? $4 doesn't even buy a large Dutch brother. So kids now don't even know what the allowance is. They, mom and dad give them debit cards and just put it on there for them. Um, she's shaking her head, no, we don't do that. Okay, but what they told us to do is uh, trick mom and dad, and here's how you do it. You go home and say, okay, mom and dad, I really, I know times are tight, and I don't really need a big allowance. If you just give me one penny this week, and then next week, if you just double it. And then the next week, double that. And the next week, double that. And all I need is six months worth of that. Now, you do the math on this, and it goes up pretty strong, right? Uh, just start, you, you guys are doing it now on your paper, right? Somebody's up to 128 already, 256, 512, 1024. I've done this a few times, right? Um, you get up there, and it gets up to like a million dollars by the end of it. But the queen of Sheba brings him these talents of gold. Now, you do the math on just her gift that she brought him. It was 144,000 ounces of gold. At a low rate today of $1,000 an ounce, she had brought him a $144 million gift from Africa. Look, if you look in chapter 10, verse, I'll show you a couple more things in verse number 14 says, the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 603 score and six talents of gold. I don't want to get spooky here, but that's 666 talents a year. Isn't that crazy? 25 tons of gold. That's 800,000 ounces of gold per year. Uh, this chapter says that his throne was ivory, that it was overlaid with the best gold. Verse 23 confirms that he had more riches than anybody. He exceeded all the kings of the earth for riches and for wisdom. Chapter 4 says that this is what his kitchen staff prepared for a day. And it really, this is overwhelming. It's staggering to even think about, right? Uh, his kitchen staff every day used 300 bushels of flour. I want you to think about that, right? First, we've got to go back to school because some of you are like, okay, what's a bushel? Right? You know, I'd get the bushel basket. What's a bushel? All right, so let's go back and see if we can remember. Does anybody have some kind of common language of what a bushel actually is? What is it? 60 pounds of wheat. I'm just going to go with his because he's a farmer. Right? And he just, he just laid it out there for me. I was going to go through this big convoluted thing that they taught us in school about quartz and pecks and bushels. And I had this whole thing prepared. And John just blew it out of the water. 60 pounds. There it is. You're going to go like eight quarts is one peck, and four pecks is one bushel, and eight times four is 32, and 60 pounds. Blew it out of the water. One time I was preaching a sermon, and then I had this great illustration. I mean, I had worked on it. I had read two or three books to get this one illustration. It was an incredible illustration. And it was about salt in the desert. Yeah, especially in the Sahara Desert, there are travelers or troubadours who go on camel trains 
to the salt mines because salt is so valuable in the desert. So I set the whole thing up with a question. Right? I'm going to give this great illustration. And I said, do you guys know what the most important thing is in the desert? And there was a guy on the back row that had a deep voice like Aaron's. And he all of a sudden went, water. <laughs> like my whole illustration, gone. Poof. It's like a soap bubble, just dart in it. Wasted my whole illustration. So 60 pounds in a bushel, right? And they use 300 bushels a day. That's a lot of flour. Then it says they use 600 bushels of meal. Okay, so that's, and this is almost incomprehensible when you think about it. They killed 10 fat oxen a day, plus 20 oxen from the pasture, plus 100 sheep, and that doesn't even include the game from the fields and the forest. That's in one day. That's in Solomon's house, what they made. And all I'm trying to show you and to help you understand is that King Solomon reigned over the most prosperous period in Hebrew history and really in all world history. And yet he didn't lose sight of the big picture. He realized as he dedicated the temple here in chapter 8 that there were people that had lived before him. There are people that would live after him. And now his prayer at the temple dedication shows that there were people outside of Israel in his worldview. Moreover, concerning the stranger that is not of thy people Israel. That's what he says. So at this point in his life, Solomon had a heart for God that allowed him to see outside of himself, outside of his own wealth, outside of the prosperity of his nation. And in our self-absorbed world, we often lose concern for people outside of our little circles, outside of what our aspirations tell us, and sometimes even outside of our nationalistic view. And we should be asking God to enlarge the crowd of people we know so that he can enlarge the number of people we influence. I have a friend uh, named John Wilkerson, and, and uh, he was down in Long Beach, California, and became a pastor of a church that was already pre pretty successful down there. And uh, while he was there for about eight or ten years, they began to start ministries to all different groups of people down in the Long Beach area. And I think by the time he had left there, they had services every Sunday for nine different languages going on in their church because they were concerned about the strangers. They were concerned about the people that you walked outside of the doors that you didn't even look at or you didn't even think about. You know, we have that going on in our own lives. We have people that we don't even really consider. We don't even think about the way that we should. And God wants us to grow in concern for a crowd of people, to grow in concern for the people that we don't know and that we don't even want to know or we've never pursued knowing. And so there's a concern that's taking place here and asking God to expand this concern. But then we move on, and I want you to see the curious. Because if you read at the end of verse number 41, back in 1 Kings 8, look what it says. But comes out of a far country for thy name's sake. 
comes out of a far country for thy name's sake. So this is talking about people who were going to leave their tribes and leave their ancient nations so that they could pursue the God of Israel. That's why they were leaving their countries for his name's sake. It's the only reason why they were going. And so they were curious people. They were people who wanted to know who this God of Israel was. And just to give you a little bit of a history on this, Israel was a monotheistic nation. That means they believed there's one God and that they worshipped one God. And there were very few tribes in the world at that time who were monotheistic. Most of the tribes in the ancient world and many of the tribes in our modern world are polytheistic. Now, if you go over, some of the largest religions in the world are still polytheism. Um, Hinduism. You've been over to India a few times, and people over there, they believe that there are over 300 million gods. Right? And I, I got to talking to a guy over there, like, how do you even know who the gods are? Like, I can't remember the name of my four children sometimes. I'd call him the dog's name. Like my, my mom used to do it when I was a kid. Like, she can't remember our names. This is bad. And now I do the same thing. Autumn, you get in here right now. And I'm actually talking to Sophie. Or I'm calling somebody else. And, Man, how do you do 330 million gods? And he said, everything is a god. And so you have this pantheistic, polytheistic type of religion, and that's the way the ancient world was. They would have all of these different gods, many gods, gods that they had invented or that they claimed. In those tribes and nations, there were people that realized, though, that worshiping the sun god wasn't doing anything for them, that worshiping the river wasn't bringing them crops. And, And through the word of nomads and travelers, people heard about Israel and their one God, their singular God. They heard of his great name, it says in verse 42, of his strong hand, of his outstretched arm. And they came to seek a relationship with this God. In all places on the globe, in every area of human time, people are born with an innate desire to know the Creator. And only creatures intelligently designed, would ask questions like, where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going after I die? I I want you to think about it, just with some common sense this morning. If you are here by an evolutionary process that began with a cosmic accidental explosion, you would not have the logic to wonder where you came from. Right? Have you ever... Heard a loaf of banana bread just blurt out in your kitchen? Where did I come from? (laughs) Right? Like, all of a sudden there's an explosion in the kitchen. And all of the bananas got to just the right brownness, because they have to be a little bit brown for the banana bread. And then there's got to be a whole bag of chocolate chips. Right? And then you got the flour and you got the sugar and the eggs and the milk and the powder and whatever it is. And all of it explodes, lands in a baking dish, mind you, that falls into the oven 
at the right temperature and then pops out automatically. And people tell me that that's far-fetched. Could I tell you that a creature that has 75 trillion working cells that all blend together in 13 systems of the body, happening by accident, is quite a bit more far-fetched? That's extremely far-fetched. And yet, there are people who tell me, well, I have logic because I'm an evolved creature. I'm high on the evolutionary tree. But if it all began with a cosmic accident, we don't have any logic. You wouldn't have the mental capacity to seek out your origins, and you wouldn't have the creative gifts to establish theories and to implement ideas like you do. What I'm saying is that these people from other tribes were curious about God because they had been created by God. And people in 2015 still have the same curiosities. And there are countless numbers of people that that go and get these ideas. And they look on the internet or they talk to a friend or they listen to a professor. And they have been sold a bill of goods that have been manufactured and empowered often by Satan himself to give people answers that don't include God. None of these counterfeit answers bring lasting peace to the soul. And yet, I hear of people from every age group who are searching, who are wanting to know more about who God is. And there are young people who begin to to search on the Internet, is there a God? Okay? And, uh, boy, you start to search that. There's some really good answers out there that go to the Bible and that show you the truth. But you know what? There are some really bad answers, too. There are some horrible answers out there. And uh, I would urge you not to allow your eternity to hang on a website. Don't allow your eternity to hang on a professor's opinion. Don't allow your eternity to hang on what some guy told you at school. You find out for yourself what truth is. And I truly believe that if any human being says, God, if you're out there, I want to know you and I want to know more about you, that God will reveal himself to that person. Sometimes I have people ask me these far-fetched hypothetical questions, like, if there was a tribe of people in 1342 that had never heard about God and before the Bible was printed English and uh, if they worshipped a sun god instead of God of the universe, are they in heaven now? And there's far-fetched questions like, whoa, you really thought on this one for a long time, didn't you? You know what the Bible says? If you seek me, you will find me. If you search for me with all your heart. And I believe that there are people in tribes and groups all around the world who don't have a Bible, who don't have a history book, who don't know the name of the God of the universe, who are searching for God. And God shows them light. God shows them light in several ways. One way he shows it is through creation itself. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies or the firmament shows his handiwork. And another way that God reveals it to us is by the history of his son, Jesus Christ, by the word of God. And it says in Acts that neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name given under heaven among men whereby ye must be saved. And so the truth is, 
Believing that there is a God can't get you to heaven. You have to believe in Jesus Christ, God's Son, who came to claim your redemption on the cross. And for people to get to that particular fact, they have to be searching. And there is a God in heaven who says, if you search, I'm going to give you some light. If you search, I'm going to give you some guidance. And Solomon was a part of this now with the curious. But then we get to this next part, and this is really interesting. Because we should be asking God for the same thing, which is to provide truth to the curious crowd around us, whether it's our our sons or daughters or grandchildren or cousins or neighbors, whoever it is. God, would you provide truth to those who are curious for you, who are seeking after you? I want you to notice a pattern in this chapter. Look at verse number 45. And if you underline, you may have some things you want to underline today. Look at verse 45. Then hear thou in heaven their prayer and their supplication, and, look at this phrase, maintain their cause. Isn't that a curious phrase? Right here in the temple dedication, maintain their cause. Go down to verse number 49. Then hear thou their prayer and their supplication in heaven, thy dwelling place, and maintain their cause. Look down at verse number 59. And let these my words, wherewith I have made supplication before the Lord, be nigh unto the Lord our God day and night, that he maintain the cause of his servants and the cause of his people Israel at all times as the matter shall require. Now, I want you to look closely. And I want you to see if you can point out to me the punctuation mark at the end of verse number 59. Right? You see it? The punctuation mark at the end of verse number 59. Anybody see what it is? You remember what that's called? <laughs> Do you remember what that's called from school? That's a colon. Right? It's a colon. And I know some of you are just afraid, like, question mark? You know? Is that a semicolon? Don't, that's a colon, all right? The two dots, that's a colon. Now, you may not, just off the top of your head, remember all the rules for colons that you were given in high school or college. And I won't rehearse them all today. But I will remind you of rule number four. Okay, rule number four for colons. Now, this is all going to flood, flooding back in. I can just see it right now because there's some of you thinking, why do you use a colon again now? I thought the colon was the thing that's, you know, your large intestine. That's yeah, a different story. So a colon, instead of a semicolon, may be used between independent clauses when the second sentence explains, illustrates, paraphrases, or expands on the first sentence. That's pretty cool, isn't it? It's colon rule number four. Everybody's like, okay, so now what? Now I want you to go to verse number 60. When we think of this passage, verse 60 explains, illustrates, paraphrases, or expands on the first sentence. Look at verse 60 that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is none else. 
You know what verse 60 does? It explains for us the cause that is being talked about in verse 59. The cause that's being talked about in verse 49. The cause that's being talked about in verse 45. The cause is that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is none else. And folks, our purpose for living is not ours to define. It's already been declared and maintained by God himself. He wants us to glorify his name so that all the people of the earth will know that he alone is God. Whatever the circumstance is, God's cause remains the same. And if you look at this chapter, whether they were dealing with battle or with sin or with hardship, no matter what the situation was, the cause was that all the people of the earth may know that the God of Israel is the God of the universe and there's no other option, there's no other choice. God is God. And so no matter what your circumstance is this morning, God wants you to be a part of the big picture. The big picture is the cause that everyone knows he's the only way. And so our prayer as we begin to process this about enlarging our crowd, our prayer really is to ask God to enlarge my crowd because I want my light to shine before men that they might see and glorify you. Yeah, that really is our prayer. God, would you enlarge my crowd for one reason, so that more people would know who you are? Now really, that's, that's why we ask. Because a lot of you are thinking, I've already got enough friends. I've already got too many friends. Right? How many of you feel like you already have to buy too many Christmas gifts? Right? On my wife's side of the family, there's like 28 grandkids or 28 nephews and nieces. And on my side of the family, there's so many that we can't even count them anymore. Or we don't even try. Um, I'll say to my wife, what's my cousin's daughter's name? Which cousin? Well, Louie. Oh, yeah, that's easy. That's, uh, she knows it. How would she know that? I have no idea. Um, how many of you grandfathers know all of your grandkids' birthdays? What? <laughs> how many of you grandmothers know all of your grandkids' birthdays? I, just, I would just go ahead and venture a guess here. Most grandfathers, unless they only have one grandchild, don't even know all the grandkids' names. Like, we did a quiz this morning. It's like, his name's Larry or Bo or George or something. I know he's a boy. Sometimes they even get that wrong. So, you know, you got to give grandfathers a little bit of mercy on this thing. God wants us, though, to expand the number of people we know. And it really doesn't matter what our personality is and what our makeup is and what our spiritual gift is. He wants us to pray that we would expand our crowd so that we can expand our influence. Does that make sense? That all the people of the earth may know. So Solomon said, listen, God, when strangers leave their country and they come from far away just because they want to know more about that you're the Most High God, would you allow them to worship you? If they're curious for you, would you allow them to come in the outer courts of this temple and find out who you are? Because the cause is 
that all the people of the earth may know that you're God and there's none else. Now that's pretty incredible right there, isn't that? That chapter, wow, it's huge. Then we go a little bit further though. And I want you to notice verse number 61. We find out about the co-laborers. Verse number 61. Let your heart therefore be perfect with the Lord our God to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments as at this day. Verse 61 brings us to the one big thing that we should all get from this message. The word perfect here, when it says, let your heart therefore be perfect, not referring to sinlessness. It's talking about wholeheartedness, single-mindedness, and being at one with God and wanting what God wants. Uh, What if that was a prayer every day? If you just said, God, help me today to want what you want. Wouldn't that be a good prayer? God, help me today to want what you want instead of what I want. I wonder if that's what God's talking about when he said that he would give us the desires of our heart. I wonder if it really means that I would get a red Corvette. Right? I wonder if it really means that I get a big SUV or whatever. I wonder if instead it means that God would place in me the desires that I should have in my heart. To be a good husband and to be a good father and to be a good leader and to have influence with people and to expand the crown of people that God has given me to influence. I just think that it makes some spiritual sense, doesn't it? That God would give us desires and a heart that wants what He wants. And so that's verse 51. Let your heart, therefore, be perfect with the Lord our God. There are people I'm concerned about because they're still searching. And I can tell every time I talk to them and every time I see them that they don't have true peace. You know, that's where my concern intersects with God's cause. I read later in the Bible, 2 Peter 3, and you maybe know this verse, He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so if His cause is that all the people of earth might know Him, and His will is that no one perishes without Him, then I can know my part in this. There's no other option for the people of this world to have life except through Jesus Christ. Let's close over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to see a powerful verse in this passage. If you've never looked at this verse or underlined this verse, there's a phrase in here that just pops out at you that you ought to know. Look what it says, 1 Corinthians 3, 9. For we are laborers together with God. We are laborers together with God. We're the tools. He's the master builder. We're the instruments. He's the breath of life. We're the vessels. He's the guide. 
And when God's children agree with God's purpose for our lives, we find immense passion and joy, especially when we realize that we're privileged to be laborers together with God in His cause. And doesn't that make sense that if we're going to be laborers with God, we have to be laborers in His cause? If we're going to be laborers with God, we have to be laborers in His kingdom? God didn't call us to be laborers together with Him in our plans, in our desires, in our wants. He called us to be laborers together with Him for His purpose, for His plans. What a wonderful privilege it is for us to be laborers together with God and His cause. And if His cause is that all the people of the earth might know Him, then it's important for us to ask that we might know more people. God, enlarge my crowd. Allow me to be an influence for you in the time you've given me on this earth. You know, if you pray that prayer today, as we close the service in just a minute, God, would you enlarge the number of people I know so that I can influence more people for your kingdom? Then the next step is to be watchful for the answer. Because God is going to allow you to know more people. Now, it may be in a strange, strange way. Somebody might rear-end you at a stop sign this week. Because God wants you to know more people. You might get to meet a tow truck driver who has to come and change your tire. Because God wants you to know more people. You might get to meet a new physician's assistant because you may get a sniffle. You might have to meet a new neighbor because your old neighbor moved out. I don't know how God's going to bring people into your life, but I know this. If you ask him to make you a co-laborer with him and his cause, he's going to let you know more people. He's going to enlarge your crowd because your influence is his influence. See, none of us are lights to ourselves. None of us shine on our own. We're just reflections of him. That's all we are. We just show forth who Jesus is. We need to be his hands and his feet. We need to show forth the fruit of the Spirit. But if we said, God, would you enlarge my influence and then give me the courage when you bring those intersections along, to speak truth about who you are. To be a light for you when those people come along. First Kings 8, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, because it, it's so clear. Where Solomon lays out, this is God's cause. And God wants us to be at one with that cause. He wants us to have a perfect heart toward his cause. Let's bow in prayer this morning. As we bow today, I hope you'd be willing in your heart, if you're a believer in Jesus, to pray, God, would you just enlarge my crowd? Would you enlarge the influence I have for you? If you're not a believer in Jesus, I hope you'll talk to us after the service. We want to show you from God's word how you can know that you're a child of God. Father, would you work in our lives this morning by the power of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. We are nothing without you. We have no cause if not your cause. 
We don't have a kingdom. We're just privileged to be co-laborers together with you in your kingdom. And so I pray that you would give us the desires that we're supposed to have in our hearts, that we might be at one with you, that our hearts might be wholehearted for you. I pray that if there are those here today without Jesus Christ, that you would help them to commit their lives to know you and to follow you and to become disciples of you. Guide us now through this day. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm so glad that you came this morning. After we discuss-